This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 7th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Civil forfeiture is legal in almost every state, but not in New Mexico. Police and other defenders of forfeiture say that eliminating this particular form of legalized theft would make it harder to do their jobs. Jennifer McDonald is a researcher at the Institute for Justice. She's followed the New Mexico experience since they eliminated civil forfeiture. We discussed what she's found. So I hear police in defending civil forfeiture, and let's be clear, only police will defend civil forfeiture these days. In fact, if you explain it to the average person, they first do not believe the truth of what you are telling them. And then once they do a little digging, they find out this is terrible. How do we stop it? That's basically the the path to realization, to enlightenment on uh, this particular issue. So New Mexico, kind of felt like it was out of nowhere, got rid of civil forfeiture in 2015. Uh, you've done some research on what their experience has been since then. What did you find? I found that compared to neighboring Colorado and Texas, there's been absolutely no change in crime rates or arrest rates in New Mexico as a result of their eliminating civil forfeiture and directing all forfeiture proceeds to the state general fund. All right. So why Colorado and Texas? So Colorado and Texas uh, border New Mexico. So if we want to compare as like to like as much as possible. Um, we didn't use Arizona because it had a couple of forfeiture reforms uh, during the study period, so that wouldn't have kind of worked as a constant control. When we we think about the arguments that police make in favor of civil forfeiture, their arguments are, look, this makes it, this allows us to do a bunch of good work. It will be harder for us to do our jobs if we can't seize these assets, and there is sort of a deterrent effect for this. Not many states have followed suit, but maybe this evidence will convince some state lawmakers elsewhere that cops don't need this. That's what we're hoping. We really want to see states follow in New Mexico's footsteps um, to get rid of civil forfeiture and also direct forfeiture proceeds away from law enforcement. So even those that come from criminal forfeiture, because government agents respond to incentives. And when there is a financial incentive at play, they're going to pursue more forfeiture. Yeah. So New Mexico had uh, the the money that was seized by agents of the state, cops, uh, that money went into the general fund. That's not true in a lot of states. In most states, uh, law enforcement, so that's police and prosecutors, get to keep at least some, if not all, of the proceeds from forfeiture. And they can usually spend it on pretty much whatever they want. So that is everything from, you know, training to new equipment, also to overtime and salaries, you know, of the very people who are seizing this property. So that kind of perverse incentive is is really there and it's really strong. And uh, the uh, the other side of that is if taxpayers are off the hook for some of the money that would otherwise be taken out of their pockets to fund local police, maybe they have an incentive to look the other way. I mean, it's definitely there. But, you know, if if the tax dollars aren't going towards law enforcement, they're going to go somewhere else. Right. Nobody's taxes are going to get lower just because law enforcement can self-fund. For states that are state lawmakers that are listening to this, I happen to know there are a few who will be listening to this. What are the reforms that are next steps? You know, if you have a robust program of civil forfeiture in your state, your state police departments cooperate with the feds on a regular basis, even if you have reforms built into your state laws. So if if you're a state lawmaker and you think, I want to do a reform here, this evidence from New Mexico is compelling, 
Uh, and I would like to not have police have their incentives to solve, to clear crimes. I would li- like those incentives not to be perverted. What are some, uh, what's the low-hanging fruit? Uh, well, some, I don't like to talk about low-hanging fruit because we want to make want sure. Whole, you want, you want, okay, they want to rip out the tree, but they understand that there are ways to get there uh, that are gradual. Right. So one thing that several states have done is started to require a criminal conviction before property can be forfeited in civil court. And so that's better than, you know, the the situation in most states. However, that conviction requirement needs to uh, come into play after the owner is convicted of a crime. So it can't be you know, your friend who borrowed your car and drove drunk with it, right? The owner needs to be convicted, and then that property needs to be forfeited, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. It needs to be associated with that crime. Um, Unfortunately, most conviction requirements that we see only kick in if the property owner affirmatively fights back. So if you had $1,000 seized from you, and it's going to cost you $3,000 to hire an attorney, you're going to walk away from that, and they're going to get your money by default without actually convicting anyone. Um, so those loopholes in the conviction requirements are concerning. And so if if lawmakers are going to do that, they really need to make sure they kind of do it tightly. So what about like uh, loser pays for civil forfeiture cases? Yeah, that would be great. Uh, you know, some states do offer attorney's fees for folks who have successfully gotten their property back. But the problem is that still doesn't make anybody whole, right? If you don't have your rent money for a year, you might get a couple bucks in interest and they might pay for your attorney. But what are you supposed to do without your rent money for a year, right? These victims, even if they've done nothing wrong, are never actually made whole. And so the answer is just to not seize stuff in the first place. For some states that have this, allow their police departments to cooperate with the feds, and there are some very uh, upsetting ways that uh, police departments do cooperate with the feds, with federal task forces and the like. But in the in the realm of civil forfeiture, uh, it's probably worth re-explaining exactly how even states that might have done away with uh, forfeiture in har- in part or in whole uh, can circumvent their own state laws to uh, make a quick buck off of seizing assets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Missouri is a perfect example of that. So Missouri directs all forfeiture proceeds to their state school funds. So law enforcement is not supposed to profit. So what Missouri law enforcement do is they don't forfeit things under state law. They call in the feds, forfeit it under federal law through a program called equitable sharing. And then they get up to 80% of the proceeds back from the feds as a kickback. So, even though Missouri did a great thing by eliminating the profit incentive, it doesn't have any effect because they just use the federal program. Whereas New Mexico said all forfeiture proceeds, even if it's from equitable sharing, need to go to the general fund. And also you can't participate in equitable sharing if the property is worth less than $50,000. And so the effect of that is there's no civil forfeiture under New Mexico state law and their agencies can't effectively participate in the federal program. And so what we've seen since 2015 is equitable sharing just doesn't happen in New Mexico, with the exception of a few tribal agencies. Shocking. Mm. And is is this, in terms of, of looking at that incentive, does that mean the feds are no longer interested in seizing assets in New Mexico? Or does that mean that local police agencies aren't calling the feds when they might be wa- wanting to seize property. It means the local police agencies aren't calling the feds, right? If they're not going to get a kickback from it, why are they going to do it? Um, So the feds can still seize and forfeit stuff in New Mexico on their own, but they're not going to get the cooperation from state and local agencies anymore. And again, aiming if if this is aimed at state lawmakers uh, throughout the country, hello, 
folks, how you doing? It has to be at least a little galling to think that we have a law in our state that says X, and yet the feds come in, screw it up, and are effectively circumventing laws that we, the state lawmakers, created because we want things to run a certain way. And yet when we tell state lawmakers about that, it just gets their blood boiling. You know, Um, it's a huge separation of powers issue. It's a huge federalism issue, you know, and so the feds just come in and supersede everything. And that's not that's not the re- the remand for the people, right? That's not why they elected their their state legislators. So uh, 2015, to have a, a state even get rid of civil forfeiture is a big deal. And then to go further and say that uh, state law enforcement agencies can't participate in equitable sharing to the degree that they might, they might prefer, we haven't seen much since then. Uh, so has there been reform at the state level? There's been a lot of reform at the state level. It's just been, like you said, lower hanging fruit. So we've seen some of those con- criminal conviction requirements that have, you know, kind of some of the loopholes that are concerning. A couple of states have reduced their profit incentives. So law enforcement gets to keep a lower portion of forfeiture proceeds. Um, a lot of states have implemented new transparency reforms. So we have a lot better um, forfeiture reporting requirements. A lot of states are maintaining electronic databases of seized and forfeited property now. So that has made our job as researchers easier and given us a lot more information with which we can then, you know, nail down and say, here's the problem in your state based on your data. Let's target some reform specifically at that problem. Jennifer McDonald is a researcher at the Institute for Justice. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.